Welcome to Week in Horror. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. The podcast that deep dives all the films you love. Gotta be fucking kidding. The week they dropped in horror history. We all go a little mad sometimes. With your horror hosts. JL. When a shirtless Sam Elliott with no mustache takes out a, an alligator with a uh, with an oar, that's the kind of movie I'm looking for. Eugene. And we're just casually just like, yeah, so that's probably the best way to go, light someone on fire with gasoline. Alex. It would not be an original lineup if I didn't have fucking technical <laughs> Johnny O. Now, it's not an Amityville. Or where is this? Amityville. And Aaron. They, they got manure to work with and nothing grew from it. <laughs> News, trailers, trivia, special guests, and more. You're going to need a bigger boat. Live show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central at YouTube.com slash Week in Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! And wherever you listen to podcasts. One by one, we will take you. Week in Horror. <laughs> Stay scared. <laughs> well, I jumped the gun a little bit putting this on the screen, but welcome, welcome, horror fans. It is Wednesday, just a little after 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast. The only podcast for post-feminist neo-slasher metaphysical revenge psychological body horror fans. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember we do it live here every Wednesday on YouTube. And you can join us here in the live chat. Come hang out with us. This week, we are covering select horror films released November 20th through November 26th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm JL, and with me tonight is Eugene. What's up, everybody? Yeah! <laughs> buddy, buddy, it has been an intriguing week. An intriguing week. Um, just busy, because we've got projects that we're working on, and I I know you're exhausted. Oh, yeah. I So I teach a class, of, I teach a college class in the morning, and then I had to run some audio that we're running tomorrow, and they tell you, hey... This should be about a two-hour setup. That's it. Five hours later. <laughs> it's always the way. <laughs> yeah, we're aiming for like a four-hour shoot, maybe five if we push it, you know? But we, we think we're going to have time for like four hours, maybe lunch. Twelve hours later. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. We only have ten more shots left to get. Oh, I did that. Oh, you're giving me flashbacks. Give me flashbacks to like you know the college years when I was because there was that there's that period of time when you get out of film school and you're running around as an actor and you're doing like all the little like because because when you because I because I graduated from from KD and once you get out you're like you're trying to pick up as much as you can so you wind up doing a bunch of student films for you know, that are casting from like SMU and like the other universities like UT and then uh, all the little areas around Texas and I was go I was auditioning everywhere like all over the state um from Dallas all the way down to Houston and Austin and San Antonio there were times I would drive like I would like in the day I'd wake up in the morning drive down to Houston go to an audition drive back in time to go to work and then have to do it again the next day for a callback or something I've done that before but I you know I know those days doing like student projects trying to build up your resume and he was like, oh, yeah, we're just going to shoot for, like, half a day. It should be, he was like this. And then, like, you know, you're in the middle of the night, and they're trying to light stuff to make it look like daytime. Yeah, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, first of all, it's funny you say you graduated from KD, because that's where I teach. I teach oh, uh, people. 
Yeah, oh, that's wild. Cinematography now, yeah. So I, I thought have, you were. Like, I, I thought you were teaching at uh, at um, the Art Institute. Oh no 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 uh, not over there. Um, so yeah, I I have a buddy of mine that he works at the equipment room, and so he got me a job there. So I only teach the one class, and it's only like two days a week, but. Um, it's funny, even today we brought in some pro level gear and then had them do go through the whole process and kind of rotated stations. So the first assistant camera, second assistant camera cam up and one of them would be the actor that would walk in and walk around and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So that's are what you, they do Are you morning. using, are you using the little, the, like the little film studio that's back there in the back? Yes, uh, the one that's yes. in the corner that has the green screen. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah, so that, yeah, Clark, Clark Lindsley's classroom. Yes. So that, yes. Oh, is Clark still there? I don't think Clark is there anymore. Okay, so yeah, it was Clark Lindsley's classroom. That's where that, that was the that was the that was the room, like the stage that we did all of our final projects on. And so yeah, yeah, been, been through that. Yeah, so I graduated back in '03. It's been a long time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well well that was a nice little jaunt down memory lane and some things i probably should you know i'm gonna, probably gonna you know talk to uh, eugene about later on now that we know that we've learned this about one another you know four years working on this show together um, oh, I, I just started like a month ago so it hasn't been very long <laughs> awesome well welcome everybody this is this is amazing so before we get jump into tonight's selections let's see who we got in the live chat with us tonight uh, let me see here. And of course, you see our Patreon banner uh, scrolling down along the bottom. There's all the individuals that help us to make this show possible. Thank you all so very much. And let's see, we got Raven Darkstars here. It says, hello, hello, Echo Chamber, Echo. Yes, <laughs> see you, Raven. Thanks so much for being here. Travis Brown as well says, hey there, horror family. Good to see you, Travis. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. One of our big time supporters. Angel Rivera is here. Good to see you, Angel. Thanks so much for hanging out. And I see Nemo813 is here. Says, hi, everyone. Good to see you, Nemo813. Thanks so much for popping in. I saw you join the uh, Discord, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Sarcasm's here. Says, good evening, everybody. Good to see you, Sarcasm. Thanks very much for being here. Denova28 as well. Another one of our amazing patrons. Jinju is here. Says, hello, everyone. Looking forward to hearing about these movies. I've only seen Blood of Dracula. That one, of course, was, you know, you, you'd see it free on YouTube. It's there. And uh, so was... um. A few of the other ones were accessible other places, but we're looking forward to diving into them because we got some cool, cool stuff to talk about. But thank you for being here, Genova. Let me see. Sir Cap says, sadly, I watched them all once again, and Jail owes me $4 for Roma Santa. <laughs> 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 There's things to talk about that movie. That movie wasn't too terrible. We've definitely watched worse on this show. We definitely have. Um, let me see here. Who That's else we got? That's still not Sally saying a lot. <laughs> it's true. The bar is exceptionally low. Uh, Sally Skellington, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here as well. Donnie does that. Good to see you. And let me see. He, uh, ba -ba. Nemo813 says, Johnny had some project going on, Chili. Plus, he's trying to go meet Iris. Yeah, there's there's something going on with uh, Johnny's got busy stuff. And, of course, um, Aaron was going to be on the show tonight, but he's feeling uh, poorly. So, we're going to let him. I think, we think he's got the flu. So, he got his he got his test and he's he's clear. But he think he's just down with the flu. So, there's a, there's you know, it's the change in the weather. I think something's going on. You know, everybody seems to be getting hit like this 24-hour thing. So, you know, so be it. Let's see. Sally Sillington says six. Oh, yeah, they're talking about the uh, the DB trial. Yep. And Charlie Welch is here. Good to see you, Charlie Welch. The only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Good to see you, Charlie. Let me see here. Who else we got? Um, ba -ba -ba -bum. Gosh of Heckfire is here. One of my favorite names on the internet. Good to see you, Gosh of Heckfire. Thanks so much for being here, bud. Basic Trig is in the house. Good to see you, Basic Trig. 
I gotta let it, oh, I gotta let it play out. Gotta let it, oh, I don't know what I'm not sure what, what he's referring to. Uh, let me see here. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Christo Kiernan is here. Good to see you. Says AJL hey, and Eugene and all. Good to see you, Christo. Thanks very much so much for hanging out with us tonight. CPM Tang Whistle is here. Good to see you, Tang Whistle. Tang Whistle hung out with me while we watched a um, a uh, an international horror film called Satan Slaves on Discord. Weird, weird little movie, but interesting, intriguing. It's just one of those one random ones you find. You'd be like, you know, we're, I needed to watch a horror movie the other day. So I was like, I'm, I'm fucking watching one. I, I, even if I was by myself, I was going to sit here and watch it. So, but thank you for hanging out with me, Tang Whistle. That was a lot of fun. Tony Regime, good to see you, bud. Thank you for the obligatory ghost. We do appreciate that. Oh, Travis Brown says we were betting on how late you were coming to the stream tonight. We had a little bit of a technical thing. We got it sorted. All is good. Uh, let me see here. Who else we got? Mogwai is here. So just watch Smile without my boyfriend, but I'll watch it again. I did also catch Smile. I saw that it was streaming, and that was not a bad fucking movie. I, I, I wanted to see it. it. Had a great marketing campaign uh, because it was it had an excellent teaser trailer, and then they were buying tickets to sporting events like behind home play yeah. and the 50 yard line and like midfield and soccer matches. And then they would sit there with a shirt that said like hashtag smile. And they'll sit there smile at the camera the entire time. But that's brilliant marketing in terms of making your horror films stand out among all the horror films that come out uh -huh. in a year. I will say this, um, whereas if you look at it for what it is, it's basically like, like evil entity, uh, you know, jumping from person to person. The premise in itself is not, is not, terribly original but i will say the cinematography was was fantastic on smile it was well shot and they did not rely on jump scares which i was so grateful for because we get that it's so often just the, the standard rigmarole of like jump scare jump scare jump scare it was not like that in, in a in a world of insidious and conjuring and other things of that nature this did not play to the normal tropes which i was very pleased um this this uh it reminded me very much it took me kind of back to when i initially saw like the ring and the grudge so there was a lot of hallmarks of those ones so i think you'll really really dig it when you get a chance Ooh, to watch yeah. it it's currently yeah it's currently streaming so i think it's on paramount plus um where it's currently streaming at and um but yeah definitely go check it out if you get an opportunity i was i was really impressed i was kind of like this this was solid you know i can understand why people were hyped about it all right yeah, thank you for yeah, yeah, abs absolutely. Oh, there was so there was a film I watched, and it's not a horror film, but I wanted to kind of bring it up in terms of the style. I watched the new All Quiet on the Western Front, um, the World War One movie, which was excellent. But the reason I bring it up on the podcast is it's shot like a horror film, and it has really? a horror movie soundtrack. Like, there's a lot of horror-based uh, cinematography. It looks more like like hereditary style than like saving private Ryan. I mean, very, wow. very gorgeous in cinematography and the soundtrack is, it's very, um, uh, like Dennis Vigneault kind of like the Sicario style soundtrack to it, nice. but a very, very horror element. So I like the fact that, Instead of just following the line of a lot of regular war films, they just showcase the grittiness and basically the horrors of war. It's shot like a horror film. So definitely something to wow. check out. I'll have to check that out. Definitely. Absolutely. 
All right, let's see. Astrid's here. Good to see you, Astrid. And let's see. Um, bu -bum -bum -bum. And Paracord Princess is lurking in the background. We see you, Paracord. Thanks for hanging out with us. Appreciate that. Tony Regime says, JL, after track of the Moon Beast, the bar is so low that bottom dwelling fish can get over it. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? But guess what? <laughs> guess what, Tony? I promise you, in December, the bar's going to get lower. I'm not going to tell you what's coming up, but I'm telling you that in December we got a movie coming up, but that bar is going to be <laughs> only only ants are going to be like maybe even just you know earthworms are going to be passing that limbo bar. So yeah, that bar is going to get lower. I promise you on that. <laughs> we can always get it lower until you can't see the bar anymore. <laughs> we in horror, the only podcast that lowers the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Malord is here. Good to see you, Mr. Malord, all the way from Chicago. Thanks so much for hanging out. Uh, let me see. Yes, Fallen was great. Fallen was a fantastic one. Uh, uh, one of the rare, one of the rare Denzel horror films. But yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Uh, let me see. Who else we have? Make sure I got everybody. Ida Pimp, you to Ho is here. Good to see you, Ida Pimp. Thanks so much for hanging out. And basic, uh, basic tricks says tardigrade limbo. Pretty much. Yeah, that's a you know, like yo. Know, we're talking extremophile. You know, very very small. But, um, yeah, so I'm curious. There's two things I want to run by before we uh, jump into tonight's selections. And first and foremost, have you had the opportunity to check out Cabinet of Curiosities yet? Because I really, really want to talk to somebody about that. No, I haven't. I will watch it by, I'll watch it by next week. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. Because, you know, because as, as both, both as a horror fan and as a filmmaker, you are going to fucking love them. So I want you to dive into it because once you, once you start... It's like Pringles, man. I don't think you'll be able to stop. Well, Guillermo del Toro is like this, like Pringles. Once you stop, you once you pop, you can't stop. So it's eight episodes. Um, they're all amazing. I mean, all of them. They're, they're varying varying levels, but from a filmmaking standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint, for just said, yo, you're gonna fucking love them. So I can't wait to dive into that. And talk about that. Travis Brown says I have seen all of the episodes. JL, fucking a, fantastic. What the literal shit? <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> Some fries, motherfucker. <laughs> no. Wanted to pop in. Supplies, motherfucker. No, just right <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to pop in for a second because I had a I had a great idea, an amalgamation of ideas, and I think it would be okay to uh, speak about them without running this by you both uh, first. Anyway, we're gonna do it live. We're doing so it live. We're, we're, this is just. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's going to come out of the audio, but I know we heard it. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, Javers. Hey, good to see you. Javers is here. Says Johnny O. Yeah, apparently Johnny O decided to pop by. So, <laughs> really quick, really quick, because I got a mountain of work to do. Uh, Eugene, I do need to speak with you later, but whatever. Uh, Jay, I'll speak with you later, too, but whatever. But here's a, here's a big idea. So, we were talking about doing the Weekend Horror. Um, film festival, right? Mm hmm. Okay. Did you forget? No, no, I absolutely remember. I'm curious where you're, go where, where you're going with this. All right. And we were also, uh, Eugene and I were talking about doing a Halloween event, like a drive in movie type thing. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. We're going to combine the two. We're going to do that next year, next Halloween. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll rent out a drive-in theater in DFW area. We will uh, invite folks to submit their best horror films. We'll do short films, and then in we'll we'll show like Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, 
you know, whatever, a couple of films we can show. And then in, in the in the intermissions of these movies, we can have an award show for these other films, these short films. That's awesome. That's an intriguing idea. I dig it. I think we should do it. It'll be done this coming Halloween, Halloween 2023. Sir Chasm says, I will happily road trip to Texas for that. See? So, yeah, come go ahead and start planning your road trips now uh, for you filmmakers. <laughs> also, get your horror movies in. I would love to see a bunch of submissions so we can showcase a bunch of excellent films. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Denova 28 says, what? I'm coming to that. See? And even Tango, Tango says, tempting. Very tempting. It'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll make a whole event out of it. Yeah, sit I back, like watch some horror movies with some popcorn, and not That's to mention, there's some, oh, there's some great original uh, horror filmmakers in Dallas that you'll see some mm-hmm. original, great original content there. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Basic Trade says, unfortunately, my car is not amphibious. No, but the boat that your car will get on to right <laughs> over here. <laughs> Good to see you, Claire View. Thanks for hanging out tonight. Good to see you. And wrote a no last name, Gabba Gabba to you. Says, camp out. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm like digging yeah. that. Oh, Donnie does it. Says, um, after last night, I'm not sure I'm ever trying to road trip again. I don't know what happened, but it sounds like there's a story there, but... Um, but I like I dig this. Uh, Denova twenty eight says, "How many days will it be?" Well, I think they'll probably have to be something we decide in the end, like kind of like decide how we run that, how yeah. it, how that's going to be. Um, exactly. Maybe possibly a two day event. I'm thinking probably a Friday and Saturday, or a Saturday and a Sunday, most likely, yeah. if we want to do two, or maybe just a one day event where we go all day. Um, but it, it have to be in the evening because it's a drive in, so you know you got to be yeah. so we can see the screen. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely chat and hammer it out. I like it. Yep. Uh, there awesome. was one question that says, wait, where in Texas? That's between a 7 and 17 hours from me. This is very true. <laughs> this, is, this is true. This is true. Yes. Yes. It's it's a, like like a day's travel or it was like however to get to certain places. I think from the southernmost tip to the northernmost tip is over, I think it's like 23 and a half hours or some ridiculous shit like Freaking that. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and I get it, all you Australian blues. Oh, that's a baby state, Mike. I don't really care. <laughs> Listen, you're your own continent. It doesn't count. Yeah, right. Uh, it'll be in, it'll be somewhere in central or not central, north central Texas, DFW area, Dallas Fort Worth area. So, Rerota in the last name says, "Last time I road tripped, I picked up Rutger Hauer." So, no, you didn't, because you're still alive. Oh, this is very true. <laughs> but his girlfriend's not. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the big idea that i had i think we should make it happen uh, we are awesome. making it that's gonna happen next halloween we'll make it happen with making it happen next halloween yep, we're doing it all right we can horror film festival that's right we can horror film festival i like it that's right all right everybody. Like i'm out all right fat kid and dodgeball <laughs> <laughs> thanks bud thanks we <laughs> So that's Johnny O. That's Johnny O popping yeah. in. Um, so yeah. Uh, so other than that, uh, that sounds like an awesome idea. I look forward to, to hammering out the logistics of that. I, I think it'll be really, really cool and a good way to bring horror filmmakers together. It'll be it'll just be an absolute an absolute blast. So yeah, that would be in the Dallas area. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to, to sussing that out. That'll be fun. Um, and if you think that would be a cool idea, let us know down in the comments below. So, or send us an email, weekendhorror at gmail.com. And, uh, you never know, uh, right now our new website, weekendhorror.com, which we finally fucking got, 
We're not yeah. .net anymore. We're now weekendhorror.com. The new website is under construction, and so we'll be we, we are uh, we'll be transferring over the mailing list, and you can get on that mailing list as soon as it's available. We'll definitely make an announcement as soon as we're happy with the site, and then of course uh, you'll get updates and everything as to as to all the details. Of course, we'll update you here as well on the show. Um, so uh, the last thing I wanted to, I wanted to run by, and we'll get some, I want to get some take uh, some takes from the live chat as well. Is I just saw that there was a casting that there was a casting decision made in a film that I wasn't that I wasn't aware was going moving forward, and that is Fede Alvarez, who did the Evil Dead reboot mm-hmm. or re recontinuation or whatever it's called, is doing an Alien film. Oh, I've heard of, yeah, I heard about this uh, a couple months ago, and they did like they just cast I think their lead so. I had I, I'd heard like rumors like a year ago that but possibly people were looking as like maybe Fede Alvarez can handle it because he did you know Evil Dead so well and you know he's got such a good track record maybe he could possibly do this and now I hear that they're moving forward because now they're casting so yeah apparently a Fede Alvarez uh, alien film so I and we have no details we don't know where it's set you know if it's in the same universe. Same con- we don't know what the continuity is, and we still don't know if Ridley Scott's going to come back and give that that long-awaited third film to wrap up the David trilogy. So, I have no idea. Um, the only thing I do know about it is they're going back to the root, so it's going to be like an alien film, like the first one, where there's probably only going to be one xenomorph, more slasher style than Covenant and Aliens and the sequels. Interesting. Yes, Paracord Princess. That is is in Sigourney Weaver, Alien. Yes, is that that yeah. franchise that Fede Alvarez is going to be jumping into that franchise. I had no idea that they were moving forward. They're playing stuff close to the... I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed that production companies nowadays, studios, are playing shit really close to the vest these days. They're not, you know, like the big announcements and everything, they're not making them as often as they used to. So I'm just I'm wondering if that's if there's a shift in the just you know, with the with the kind of like the internet and kind of like things that have gone on in the internet with with various stuff. I wonder if people are starting to play you know, like studios starting to play things close to the vest, and not doing big announcements anymore, but letting things kind of creep up on people. I think that's one of the best marketing strategies because then people talk about it um, instead of and letting the internet kind of do its job. So when Nine Schnell's release was basically saying, hey, we're going to do a new album back in 2006, what they ended up doing was there was no announcement. And then one of the people from the band or somebody inside had a thumb drive with a new song on it and left it, conveniently left it in the bathroom. Oh, conveniently. Conveniently left it in the bathroom at one of the concerts that Nigel was playing. And so, of course, what happens? Somebody picks it up, somebody puts it on a computer, and you have this great, pristine, quality new song. So, what do they do? They upload it, and all of a sudden, in a day or two, it's everywhere. And I mean, no commercials, no um, no commercials, no big announcement. Yeah. It's interesting because there's no context to it. It's literally just an unreleased Nine Inch Nails song. And all of a sudden, it's on the the internet. And so, it's kind of like people get to fill in all the blanks themselves as to like, What's the what's the what's the tone of the album, or what's you know what's the focus of the album going to be, or what direction are they going in? And so they get to just fill in all these blanks as to what could possibly be, and there's your there's your uh, your built-in merchandising, kind of like you know Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, you know Ryan Reynolds. Exactly. No, I mean no one no one's ever going to believe that he didn't really he didn't leak that himself. 
that test footage himself. He did that. And so he dropped it on the internet and was like, yeah, we'll just let, we'll just let it go. And then fan demand. So, And then that's what happened. And also on top of that, I like it because you get people talking about it. You can mm-hmm. I watch trailers all the time. And most of them are forgettable, but the ones that you, you talk about, the ones are like, huh, I wonder what they're going. And you start bouncing theories back and forth, like you and me right. are bouncing theories on the Alien movie. Now it gets to the forefront of our mind, and we're going to start looking for stuff. Could be interesting. I'm looking forward to whenever it comes out. So I'm kind of digging this, how things are just kind of creeping up on me. I, I'm liking it. I, you know, yeah. I, I get into like anticipation like this, but like when Don't Breathe dropped, when Alvarez dropped Don't Breathe, I was like, that was unexpected. So I was like, oh, there's, there's a new movie coming out with um, with uh, uh, Stephen, son of a bitch. I keep oh. thinking Steve, I keep uh, I keep thinking Stephen McCaddy. It's that's not, that's not his name. But when, when but when he when that dropped, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That this could be good. Oh, it's Fetty Alvarez. He did Evil Dead. Great. But then it dropped. And I was like, holy shit. But then Don't Breathe Two got a bunch of fanfare leading up, and it what it didn't really live up to it. So I like that they, you know, let, let it stand on its merits, you know? Just put it out there, let the fandom drive it, and then people can go in. Stephen Lang. Thank you, Genova28. Yeah, Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang. I, for some reason, McHattie was stuck in my fucking head. I have no idea why. So <laughs> let me see here. All right. See, I've uh, got a couple new people pop, popped in. See, NANA is here. Good to see you, NANA. And I thought I saw somebody new. No, I think it's just NANA popped in. Good to see you, bud. All right. So that being said, Interesting stuff. And let us know in the comments below if you're looking forward to a Fede Alvarez alien film. I'm really curious myself. It's going to be really, really cool. Um, but you know what? We got some fucking horror movies to dive into tonight. We do. So, Eugene, why don't you kick us off? What do we got? You see, I, I kind of adjust, I adjusted the script so, so we won't get lost in it. <laughs> Oh yeah, okay. That yeah, that actually helps a lot. I had to take Aaron out of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the first film we got today is VHS Viral, released November twenty first, two thousand and fourteen. Mm-hmm. Roll it. And hey, Richard Meter, good to see you. He says I'm looking forward to the new Alien movie. Fantastic. Let's check out this trailer. <laughs> <laughs> So we have VHS Viral, directed by several directors. Marcel Sarmiento, Sarmiento, Greg Bishop, Nacho Vigolando. You you got it. Yeah, sweet. Justin Benson, Aaron Scott Moorhead, and Todd Lincoln. And basically what it is is a compilation of short films linked by a videotape. And so the videotapes have haunting stories um each have their own kind of twists and let me tell you as a fan of the first two vhs's this one was garbage really yeah i i know just no it's because you have the magician one the magician one is not really I don't know. It just I, I could not get into the magician one. I mean, it, it was a cape, basically. And <laughs> well, well, it was it was a, a dimensional portal, is what it was. To, yeah, to, to where that the, the creature was that was taking sacrifices to give him his power. And he, as he just he fed people, basically fed right. people to the cape. Um, and I couldn't get into it was the ice cream truck one, just because it just kind of 
it was kind of a cool concept, but then when he like finally climbs into when he finally climbs in and he's like, Oh, this is what's causing everybody to go crazy. This is what's going on. I need to upload it and I need to do the and it didn't quite like fill in the context. Like, how would he know this information? Because he saw somebody get a nosebleed, but it was like, oh, well, that's it. Like, I just I I I like the other two. I think the other two are better connected than these. Okay. And I just think the stories over the stories overall are better. So this was eh, yeah. So oh say so yeah, basic trick says Eugene built it up, they kicked it straight in the nuts. And then Rodin Ellis Name <laughs> says Rodin Ellis Name says, Was it bad or creep show too bad? No, this definitely was not creep show too bad. Although creep show two had some good like the raft was really, really good in Creep Show 2. So uh, the Creep Creep Show 2 still had some good moments. But this one I thought I found it to be interesting. I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because <laughs> I liked that it, di- it diverged from the first two. Because the first two were very were, you know, very much thematically similar in that respect. And while I dig the the alien abduct the alien stories that you know that they what's really cool is I dig the experimental opportunities that directors are given in order to do it's very much like a fill in the blanks kind of filmmaking process where people are brought in in order to it's like we have a framing narrative, but now we need people to come in and fill in these stories, you know, however they want. And they can tell whatever kind of horror story they dig because the individuals involved, each the directors each wrote their own stuff. So I was a particularly big fan of the um, of the Moorhead and Benson because Justin Benson, Aaron, and Austin uh, or Aaron Moorhead are both a collaborative team that have worked on a number of things like The Endless and a number of other uh, major pictures. So I dug it. The Dante the Great was actually I dug that one the most just because. The action in it, I thought, was really, really well done. The 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 dueling at the end, like the when the magician goes just dueling it out with the uh, with the assistant, I thought was a pretty badass you know sequence. I thought that was cool. The effects were really, really decent in my eyes. I it was like the, the the cuts were good, and I think because you could hide those cuts behind the VHS veneer that everything was given, like you know on CCTV or on handheld, you can use that natural kind of grain or that low quality to hide your more in- your more intensive uh, cuts in order to get the special effects through, which I dig. I like that technique. But overall, I like that it kind of diverged from the other ones, trying to do something a little bit new and with a little touch of ambiguity to kind of say, let the, let the viewer kind of like fill in the blanks a little bit as well. So otherwise, I thought it was an intriguing uh, collaborative effort where it was, this felt more like ABCs of Death than like your state, like your standard VHS film, which I you know I was like I got I got hallmarks of ABCs of Death and ABCs of Death too, where the only like thing is like we're doing letters of the alphabet and we're each going to take our own, put our own take on it. But this one was not. To, I I enjoyed it. I I actually kind of did, um, you know, and I like the idea of bringing people together with their own visions and then just putting them all together maybe it's because i'm a big fan of abc's of death that may be well, see, what it is. I, I'm, I'm totally okay with that when you have the first two vhs's and i like abc's of death i like the the feeling of jump around kind of that styles and uh, basically intermingling intermingling together i'm totally fine with that and i think it's a great it's a great way to get exposure to a lot of new directors because most yeah. of the stuff people probably have never heard of never heard of them before um and it was just it was a couple of story ideas because when you had like the cape and the cape he was able to just like 
basically break the boyfriend's bones just like right. right off the bat. And so I'm like, okay, all right, he can do that. So then when he has the final confrontation with the female assistant, I was like, oh, there's going to be a lot of bone breaking. And then somebody does get turned inside out, which is kind of cool. And- <laughs> <laughs> they never, they never went back on. It. I was like, this fight could be over if it was just like, oh, there's my arch nemesis. Snap. Done. Over with. Kind of. It, it was just, it was just, it was stuck in my head the entire time. Ah. Yeah, I, I can understand it was a little bit different. Um, I dug the, they, they leaned, a, in, my, in, my, in my eyes, I think they leaned a little bit harder into the CGI in this one um, than they did the previous two. They just, they just put a little bit more, they, they, I'd say they, they dove into a little bit harder because they wanted to, because each one's got to get progressively more intense. So VHS, VHS 2, now we're going viral. Now there's like two more after this. There's like 90, um, I think there's like 93, and then there's like eight, one that said in the 80s is coming up. So they're going to get progressively more intense as we go along. And we do, just repeating the same thing over and over again, it's going to have diminishing returns. So I understand the need to break out, try to do something a little bit different, maybe a little bit more action heavy, a little bit more intense as far as the uh, special effects goes. Um, I like, you know, I, I, the one that didn't really work for me was the Parallel Monsters one, an interesting premise in that one, but that one just didn't feel like it fit because just, you know, in the, in the, in the note, I understand that he was filming himself and he found a way to cross like dimensional barriers and stuff. And now he swapped with his, but the other side is like all demons and shit. I get that, and as like I, it, that one felt out of place to me, which was a little weird. But you know, like uh, the Dante the Great one, I thought was fantastic because he's videoing himself, and that's that's the story is people people filming themselves and telling a particular story. Mm-hmm. And then Bone Storm, I thought was really good, which was the uh, the Moorhead and uh, Benson uh, one was the skateboarders who go down to Mexico and, and run into the cult and shit. That one was I just that that one was just fun. I just dug that. Like I dug the shit out of that. Just be like, although I'm still a little confused as where they where they where the gun came from, but it doesn't matter because the cult is they just started like fucking just massacring everybody. Thought the shit was insane. So. Well, I mean they're they're in Mexico, so they're just I guess yeah. Just like and all of a sudden, like the cult shows up and it's like they're all just like, hey, there's like a cult here. Okay. Oh crap, they're attacking us. Fucking kill them all. I was like. Okay, I'll go with this. It's like, all right, like these fucking skateboarders are just like hardcore, like paramilitary. Just we're just used to it, man. Just fucking kill them, <laughs> kill them all. Let's get the fuck out of here. So I get that. Um, Bone Storm was pretty good. Um, the vicious circles interlude I thought was was interesting. But that's the framing story. Um, what was a bummer is that there's actually a short called Gorgeous Vortex, which was uh, written directed by Todd Lincoln, which was actually cut out of it. Was a little surreal short with no dialogue that follows this organization that's tracking a serial killer. And that was actually cut at the last minute and didn't actually make it into it. So if you get an opportunity to check that out, that's actually on YouTube. Um, I definitely recommend you go see that if you watch this movie and didn't get a chance to see that. Because it was, I think it would have been better to have that included, to, the, to put that in. Because it, it puts a different tonal spin on the film, which is why I can understand why they, they cut it at the last minute. It's because it kind of, it, it, it really gear shifts the entire film. But this is the intri- intriguing thing of collaborative filmmaking and having almost you know how we you know how often we've complained about too many cooks in the kitchen when that can ruin a fucking movie when you've got the studio you got the director you got the writer you got e, you got everybody around there's just there's too many cooks this is how you do that 
but when you compartmentalize everybody. That way you can get all these cooks working together to make this to make this one fantastic product, which is why ABCs of Death and ABCs of Death 2 and 2.5 work so well. Um, why VHS is, is so enduring, because I think... Um, with the VHS franchise, there's uh yeah, there's nine there's ninety four, ninety nine, and eighty five. And there's two spin-offs, Siren and Kids vs. Aliens coming out. So yeah, I mean, I dug this one. That's the that's the wonderful collaborative con collaboration effect that you can get when directors are all working towards the same goal, but they don't have to interfere with one another. Oh, I mean, I, I do. I love that concept. There's a great version of it. Uh so an editor asked for people to recreate 10 second clips of the original star Wars trilogy. So starting with like a new hope, he asked these people pick 10 seconds, any 10 seconds in the film, recreate it yourself and send it in. And he was able to get enough to cover the entire film. And you can actually line it up with a new hope shot for shot. And it lines up perfectly. But the awesome thing about it is because these people had no, communication with each other so and you have all these different levels of filmmaking so you have some you will have 10 seconds that's like super cinematic and gorgeous and this beautiful like cgi or something like that and then it'll cut to a kid in a laundry basket with a bicycle helmet saying stay on target stay on target Please tell me some claymation made it into that. There has oh, to be yeah. some, yeah, yeah. There have to be good. That's that's one thing I dig is the ABCs of death showcase that as well, where we get all very all varying media um, or forms of media, the of, of media expression that you've got everything from the deeply cinematic to found footage to you know to, to claymation to straight animation to there. I mean, the Japanese one with the with the furries and the Nazis and stuff was just you know you get crazy wild <laughs> shit like that when you go. Not to mention it's global, so you. Get you get J horror, you get I horror, you get uh, you get Korean horror, you've got American, you've got English, you got Spanish, you've got all the different kinds of uh, variations, all kind of like chipping in, and it's just a wild kind of like world tour of horror, which is really really neat. And I dug this one. That that's the I think um, anthology filmmaking is that's why it's so endearing. It's why it's one of the best forms out there for horror in itself because horror works really well in short form. When you're telling a particular story or conveying a particular idea, like a like a um, like a um, son of a bitch, the word escapes me. Like a uh, um, oh, son of a bitch, oh. cautionary tale. Sorry, <laughs> when, you, when, you're to, when you're trying to when you're trying to convey these stories, I knew the word was there. I've totally brain farted. But uh, when you're trying to convey these things, they work work really well in short order. And then you have a number of individuals with different visions and usually different uh, up upbringings as far as filmmaking style and the different people that they met that mentored them. You get those and they're all working together, and it makes it always makes for a unique experience, which I really really dug on this one. I agree with you that it that it very much from a tonal sense and from an overall theme, it kind of drifted away from the original VHS. But I think that's the risk you got to take when you're trying to keep it fresh in that respect. So I understand that they that they had to take a risk that overall um uh but you know what they what they did, you know, the you know Brad Miska created the whole thing and you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. So I understand trying to change it up a little bit and that worked for some people, did work for others. Rodinella's name says stop motion, animated puppets, av- uh, avant-garde surrealism, everything. Hell yes, absolutely. Tony Regime says, JL, this gives me an idea that I need to discuss with you at some point when you have time. Intriguing. 
That's how it <laughs> that's how it happens. This is how the ball gets rolling. Absolutely Somebody needs an idea and you just go with it. So overall, you know, with with like what is that now? Five films under the belt with a new one with a new uh, four films with a new one coming out, two spin-offs. The enduring, uh, and we see the spinoffs coming out like Siren and Kids vs. Aliens, based upon the concepts that were that were brought out in, that are that are touched on in the in the VHS franchise. This thing, as far as anthology goes, this one is the most enduring of like the last, you know, however I can't remember when the first uh, VHS came out. Um, fucking 2012, 2000, yeah, 2012 is when the first one hit, and so for the past ten years, eleven almost come now up on eleven years. This has been the most uh, enduring or endearing uh, anthology series, and no one else has really gone gone in that direction other than ABCs. But uh, wh- I mean, what do you what from a filmmaking perspective? What do you think is the most like the quality that keeps it going strong? And good night, Richard Meter. Have a good one. Thank you so much. My beard is glorious. Yeah, good night. I really appreciate that. Um. Well, I mean, one of the things is the fact that you can constantly include new filmmakers, and you get a chance to showcase so many different styles of work where it's not like a in terms of like a sequels and stuff oh you have this one character you have to keep going uh you have friday the 13th you have jason you have to keep going it has to stay kind of similar to the style you can take some risks but you have to go with anthologies you can go all over the place because you can have stop motion surrealism avant-garde um you know just of puppets and anything anything possible because horror has that massive scope that it can all fit into it so that's, that's awesome and i like the freedom that it that it that it, i like the freedom that it affords directors and filmmakers you, you can always tell everybody's having a blast when they're doing it you know because that like i said there's that there's that creative freedom that's allowed when you're doing horror films because it's Whatever kind of story you're telling, you can always go, you know, for lack of a better phrase, you can always go balls deep in what you're trying to convey, and no one's ever going to fault you for it. There's never too much as far as the horror genre goes, so you don't really have that misstep where you have to, like, you know, cur- you know, like I would say, um, curtail it to a specific audience uh, in that, you know, in that respect. And there are some people that that just work better in it. I think Adam Wingard is one of the directors that works really fantastic, and we've talked about it at length before. That work really well in short form horror. And they, you know they they get bigger and they do bigger stuff and it's kind of like eh, and then you always see them go back to short form horror. So I like it. Yeah, it does. It does. I would say it's fantastic that it does give uh, allows an opportunity for new filmmakers, but a chance for the bigger filmmakers to come back and kind of like do what they love and do what they're best at. You can always go back and you can always do like stuff you know like short order horror for like the vhs franchise or maybe another anthology that may pop up in another year or so you never know which i dig i dig that it it's kind of like it's it's not the it's not like it's, it's always something you can come back to which is beautiful and it'll let you know, so that we can come back and we can enjoy it very similar to weekend horror in itself whereas we're all professionals and we can come back and we can just chill and just be fans and you know digress on this stuff well, it's also it's something that you can knock out easily. So when you do a feature film, it could be months upon months of pre-production and you're shooting and then you're in post for like a year. So you may have this one story that you're basically married to for a year, year and a half, two years. And it's just, man, and it's it's a, it's a beating. No matter how good you think the film is and how much you love the story, it's just a physical and mental beating. And it's something about being able to go and knock out like a 15-minute story, something that you can shoot in maybe a week. 
or yeah. 13 years if or 13 years if you're james cameron or 13 years so, because you, yeah. it's, it's fucking james cameron that's why oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me see denova says hey jail did you ever check on what i said about jason takes manhattan with jason driving the boat i haven't yet but i plan to it's on the list they things have been very very busy but i haven't forgotten I haven't forgotten this little this little tidbit, and we'll, you know we may dive into that eventually. There's this idea that that Jason had to have driven the boat in order to get to the point where they you know in order to get to the yacht to where you know it's 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 it, it, an interesting plot point that that never really gets addressed in Jason Eight in Friday in Friday Eight, and it's kind of yeah. like, huh, how did that happen? And I need to look into it. I need, I'm, pr- I'm probably gonna have to go back and watch the movie again, but it's kind of like, huh. He would have had, like, logically speaking, he would have had to have, like, driven the boat to get to this point. In order to, like, so, he, so I need to clear that up. I really do. I really do need Listen, to. Listen, if Michael Myers can drive a car, Jason can drive a boat. This is true. This is true. Sir Cab says, I have never seen a good anthology film outside of horror and sci-fi. There's just something about those genres that lends to shorts. Absolutely. That short, yeah. that conveying those um, conveying those types of ideas, like those cautionary tales or those urban legends, like the, thing, the, like the ideas that go behind them, works best in short form. You can tell a, a one simple story where typically this is the scenario, this is the conflict, this is the resolution. And you can get, you can convey a particular idea in really, really quick order and... You know, the, it's the graphic nature of horror or the extreme nature of horror that allows it to come across and hit without having to spend a whole shitload of time on exposition, which is why I think it works so well. It really, it really does, because you can start off premise, two people in the house, killer, boom. Who's the killer? Who cares? Why is he there? Who cares? Who are these people he's after? Who cares? Watch them try to fight to survive. You can get away with that horror. Whereas, like, for example, romance, oh, how did they meet? You have to build up the chemistry and tension between them. You have to go into all this kind of backstory for the payoff at the very end to actually mean something. Horror film, they're they're fighting to survive. Whether they survive or not doesn't matter. We're just going to watch it. See, that was the difficulty, and, and I'll put on my own personal experience in this one. When we were doing that, when I, when I was writing for the for the forty hour forty eight hour film festival, that romantic comedy that we wrote, that we segued the movie within a movie kind of thing. When we when I wrote that, I was I was actually when I started diving into it, even though we came up with the premise as a group, it was like we agreed on what it was going to write. When I started writing it, I was like, I had no idea the level of exposition that I was going to need to try and convey particular things. And then you kind of hope the actors are going to pick up on the nuance and be able to deliver these things in in a way like so the audience gets it because you have a, a, a short window of time, so you can't be like a page of exposition in order to get everything across. It's got to be bam, 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 bam. So that was a challenge in and of itself was trying to convey that had it been just a straight horror film, that's easy. You, you, we don't need it because all we need to do is, con- is, is convey the scenario. So, but yeah, that was, that was, I can see why, why those genres don't really lend themselves to short, to a uh, short form. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Jinju says no backstory in a romance turns it into a porno. As soon as I hear step sibling, we know where this is going. <laughs> All right. Well, I actually I want to ask the audience, what is your favorite entry into the VHS franchise? 
So there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a, basically it's a compilation anthology series. What is your favorite entry into the VHS horror franchise? Let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email at weekendhorror at gmail dot com. Man, my fa- uh, I still have to say that VHS two is probably is probably still my favorite of all of them. I dug it because I mean you look at the people that involved it was Gareth Evans, Adam Wingard, uh, Simon Barrett, and Eduardo Sanchez. A bunch of my favorites were in there, and um, tape forty. I mean, tape forty nine was good. The clinical trials one was was really solid. Safe Haven, the slumber party, the alien abduction slumber party one. Um, mm-hmm. All of them were just so strong because they took everything that worked in in VHS and they just capitalized on it in the sequel. And so I, I still think VHS two is by far my favorite of the franchise of all of them uh, so far. Oh, of course, I'm looking forward to the new one coming out. So. NCI yeah, I have to agree, VHS2. VHS2 is solid. And it's, it's rare really that you actually see a sequel that actually builds upon what the original established. So even even for that merit alone, I was like, I'll give I'll give the sequel credit. Hell yeah. Travis Brown says, my favorite VHS, the Little Rascals VHS series. Who <laughs> 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 says he has actually had a chance to see any of them? Well, I definitely recommend you check him out. Anthology Horror, man. It is amazing. I've all I love Anthology Horror. Tales from the, you know. Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, you know, whether you, know, you go back Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, doesn't matter, man. I love, fucking love uh, anthology horror. Fantastic stuff. Oh, uh, let me see. Uh, Jinju says, I've seen the first two. I really need to catch up. Plenty to watch, man. Definitely plenty to watch. And we'll def- I think I may try to show some in the uh, in the Discord. Well, we'll do a screening sometime so we can watch some of them. All right. But definitely let us know your thoughts down in the comments below or at weekendhorror at gmail.com. All right. I guess it's my turn. So, this next one, and I don't care what anybody says, I'm a fucking Julian Sands fan, okay? I am a Julian Sands fan. So, this next one coming up, released November 22nd, 2005, Roma Santa, The Werewolf Hunt. Let's check out this trailer. La Casa de la Bestia. Gotta love it, gotta love it. Oh, yes. So, Roma Santa, also known as Roma Santa, La Casa de la Bestia, um, or Roma Santa, The Werewolf Hunt. Rhoda Nola saying, that's me. And Jail snaps clean his polishing rag. Okay, this one doesn't need polishing. This one has its own has its own merits. So, it was. And basic trick, I agree, Warlock was peak. Julian Sands has the deal. So, anyway, Roma Santa, directed by Paco Plaza. This is a, a Spanish-Italian-British horror film. Directed by Paco Plaza, starring Julian Sands, Elsa Pataki, and John Sherian. Um, the script is uh, essentially it follows the. It's based upon the true story of Manuel Blanco Romasanta, which was Spain's first documented serial killer. And when Romasanta was caught and tried for the, the the murders of a number of people, he claimed that he was a werewolf. And so this is kind of a, a fictional uh, take on the story of of Manuel Blanco Romasanta. Um, and okay, so yes, th- that's where the, the so that's the fact that it's based on the story is where it kind of ends. Um, I will say I dug this. I, I dig this one for two reasons. One, because Julian Sands is an amazing character actor. I love him in pretty much everything that he does. He brings a, he can bring a level of of new a, a level of malice or menace and a level of compassion and vulnerability that not a lot of actors. <clears throat> um, I would say not a lot of actors of his generation are really capable of. He reminds me very much, and you know, to to give to give some honor here, because I was sitting here thinking about it recently. 
and this is totally those random thoughts that occur when you know, when you're thinking about shit like this. Um, Kevin Conroy recently passed away, and you know I I'm a terrible loss. You know it just breaks my heart. But uh, Kevin Conroy had the ability when he was voicing Batman to both convey the menace of Batman and the compassion of Batman simultaneously. Like he could do that. And it was just this amazing thing that Kevin Conroy could do as as a voice actor. He had this versatility that was just phenomenal. That, you know, every time I, if I read a Batman comic, I'm going to hear Kevin Conroy in my head. It's just the way it is. You know, he solidified it for me. But the ability to do that, you know, is is impressive from a voice actor, from a voice acting perspective, but from an emotive perspective as an actor. One of the things I think that makes Julian Sands so amazing is his ability to, within a moment, go like move from completely terrifying you know to a deeply compassionate and deeply vulnerable uh human being which i really loved his conveyance of this because while this thing is based somewhat in reality the way sans conveys the character is the strength of the movie is in how he can how he conveys the dichotomy of human nature in this um unfortunately i think john sharian kind of kind of dragged it a little bit uh you know i mean People might remember Sharon from uh, from that Christian Bale film, The Machinist. Um, mm-hmm. He was the dude that he kept hallucinating that he was uh, that you know he was imagining. Um, but uh, I think Julian Sands, Elsa, uh, Elsa Pataki, really you know they sell this thing. It's well shot. It's shot on location. Um, I loved it as far as production value goes. It's really really strong. Um, but because and because it, that's the thing about historical horror is taking you back to that time and place and trying to convey that you know accordingly and with and with respect to the time, which I think they did exceptionally well. Oh, so it's I. There's something about 2005 mid 2000s horror films that just it was a dark time. It was, it was just <laughs> there are not a lot of good films that came out around that around that time, and sadly this falls into a lot of it because I don't I don't know if it was just a style at the time. I think maybe the use of transitioning to do uh, from digital cinematography from a lot of film, and it just it just it falls pitfall into it. Julius Sands uh, is is hands down a is a great actor. But uh, just some of the pacing of it, just overall, I just I couldn't get into it. I just I think no. I think Sands has the ability as a performer to transcend uh, centuries. So he is just as he fits just as well in a modern in a in a contemporary setting as he does in in like I would say even an ancient setting. If you were to put him in ancient Rome, put him in ancient Greece, put him in wherever, put him in eighteen eighties uh, London. Doesn't matter where you put him. He just has the ability to, to to transcend that, which I think works. Now, Sir Chasm brings up an interesting point in the live chat. So I have to agree. Sands has that intensity like Palance, Dorif, Nicholson, at all that he can flip off and on like a switch. I just don't like historical pieces like this. Sir, he also says, it's the same reason that the third Ginger Snaps turns me off. Now, the, the thing, I agree with that in that respect because, but the problem that I had with the third Ginger Snaps was, one, it was horribly rushed, and two... The the commitment to the period piece was not that strong. They did not do that very very well. So I like well, Roma Santa works for me. One because of the like I said the performance of Julian Sands. Two a really really gross and somewhat disturbing werewolf transformation scene. Which oh well, actually the, the 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 change from the from the wolf into the human, which was which was nasty and almost like a reverse birth. 
which is wild in that respect. I thought it was an intriguing take on it. It was like, because it was practical effects. And I was like, that looks wild and funky. So, and then on top of that, um, they were very deeply committed to ensuring that they captured the time period at the time. <clears throat> so the dress, the layout of everything, like the architecture, everything that was about, and not to mention how someone could get away with such heinous crimes at that time. So I liked that they were true to it and the production values were there, which is why it sells me. And plus, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's somewhat touched in, you know, in reality. Obviously the guy was not a werewolf and in this film it leaves it somewhat ambiguous, you know, because he winds up, you know, getting killed with a silver dagger. And so I was like, ooh, was he a werewolf that? We don't know. But um, I found it intriguing and I like this one solely based upon the performances, the performances that sell it for me. It uh, doesn't do anything really new or original. It does kind of have the history, the his, the historical aspect working for it, but only watch this one if you're a Julian Sands film, just to see what he does with such an extreme character, going from you know from zero to, to sixty within moments. And there's some really disturbing moments in there that he sells, like only Julian Sands can. You know, it's he carries the movie in itself. But see, it's like he does he does a good job in a bad movie. Right, and that that that's where that's where well, kind of yeah, him and Richard Grant both made Warlock. Warlock, you know, the only reason Warlock was any good was because of fucking Julian Sands or Richard Grant. Their their chemistry was amazing. So <laughs> at, least, okay, at least Warlock was entertaining. That's this true. Is kinda, it was. It, yeah, it just kind of it just kind of looks like okay. And when it comes with, with historical horror, I like historical horror because you can play into the limited knowledge that they had at the time. So when you look at movies like The Witch and The Haunting Force and a lot of the unknown, it, it plays that very well. Or you take a movie like Prey where it uses – they have to use their limited technology to defeat this alien. Like those are, those are some like awesome ways to go about with historical horror and – it's great that he focused on the production design and it looks the part and it's just, but once again, it's the editing, the cinematography, right. the not much happens. It just, I, I couldn't get into it. Well, Jinju says we've seen the wolf to human, the, the human to wolf transition many, many times. And uh, Denova's right. It is hit or miss. Not so much to be watched in reverse, which I thought was really, really neat. I thought that was just a, a kind of, a cool take on that. And Sarcasm, the, wit, the the witch was amazing, and I loved the witch, even though they, it was polarizing. A lot of people didn't like it because they thought it was too much of a slow burn. But I dug that. The reason that that speaks to me is because when you're, when you're looking at it from our perspective, in the information age that we live in today, we are essentially, everything is given to us automatically. It's all instantaneous. Everything is streaming. You can get it like on demand. When you try, when you when you're trying to convey what life was like in those period times, things were very, very slow. You had your chores you did, you woke up in the morning, you did your work, and then what did you do after that? You made your own fun. Either you were working from dawn till dusk, but otherwise, if you didn't have anything to work that day, what were you doing? It was your life was a slog. It was just, you know, going from one moment to the next because we didn't have all this instantaneous stuff to fill all the negative space or the negative time in our lives where we're constantly bombarded by something going on and our attention is constantly diverted. Back then, that didn't exist, obviously. So there was that kind of like those those moments where it's a very, where things move slowly, where it's kind of a slow burn. It's like the one, like kind of like... Uh, the slow moments in between the the, the, the big, you know, uh, action moments, you know, 
that's what I that's what I dig about that is because that's the way it, it it conveys it very very well, and I can understand why some people may not dig that. But I like the level of production, the attention to detail that goes into making that happen, and because it's very very hard, especially to make a compelling story that does not really cater to the I, I say the uh, the attention spans of today. Not to negate anything. It's just a different, it's just like literally trying to convey an, a different culture. Now, people didn't dig the witch because it was so slow. And it took so long to build up to the to the uh, the coven orgy scene at the end. It just took forever to get there. It was just these moments of like just dread, like this building dread. And this one, it's just like the, the building uh, convergence towards the final confrontation between Roma Santa and... Um, I want to make sure I don't go and, and Barbara. So eventually, you know they're gonna, they're they're going to collide. The question is, especially when she starts hunting him. The question is, how is it going to happen and what's going to happen? Because we know through Julian Sands' very nuanced performance that he is in a way in love with her. That's why he didn't kill her. So, but we know eventually they're going to come to a head. And the question is, you know, how how is it going to go down? So that's what I liked in this one. And I did, you know, in a in a in an age of just like jump scares and constant and instantaneous shit. I kind of dig this would be able to sit back and let let the horror come to me. You know, just kind of like go along with it. Go along with the carriage ride until we eventually get there. But they've got to be willing to commit and not do it shoddily because that just takes you right out of it. Oh, well, see, the thing is, and the difference between the witch and this one is just pure execution. And when it comes with the witch, the witch is just the the technical side of the film is very very good and a lot of times i always want to ask people when they're like oh it's too slow i couldn't get into always ask, how did you watch it because if you're going to have it on the tv while you're sitting on your phone or on your tablet or playing a game or you're doing the dishes it's not going to grab your attention right. it's just not so if you're just constantly eyes darting around the different sources of stimulation it's not it's not going to grab you you have to film you have to watch lights are out a bag of popcorn turn your phone down do not disturb and then really watch it and let yourself get immersed into that world that's the only way to watch the witch and sarcasm brings up the intensity and the atmosphere is what made witch worth the ride there just wasn't that creepy atmosphere in roma santa and i and i will actually agree with that and that's because of the shooting locations whereas the witch was set in the you know in the uh the northeast of america it's this you know this kind of ostracized family that's out there but you think about what the weather is like up there what life was like up there it was cold it was harsh it was brutal and it was you know the consistent the, it was you know because they're they're in that time where where the seasons are changing changing so it was constantly gray and overcast and just you could tell how brutal and cold and unforgiving the environment was Roma Santa is shot in pi the picturesque south of Spain, you know, at the, at the you know, in the early or the late 1800s, 1851, the mid 1800s. So picturesque, you know, the, the beautiful landscape of southern Spain, and it's kind of like it's gorgeous. But then you have this horror that is taking place in kind of like the very the in like the the recessed shadows where the sunlight just doesn't quite reach, and that's where our monsters lie. It's a it's a dichotomy that it you you would seem not to play to yourself, but for me it does kind of play because it always it reminds you that even in the picturesque kind of Sunnyville, but much like Midsummer, even when it's like beautiful and gorgeous and the sun is shining, we're all wearing white, we're dancing around and tripping off of mushrooms, the horror is still there. It's just lying just underneath. 
you know, just beyond the facade. And I, that's what I dug about it because it really conveys the werewolf story very, very much where the, the, the face that you know is not the face that's really there. So I dig that. It, it was an exam, uh, a kind of like melancholy examination of the dichotomy of, of, of humanity set against the picturesque backdrop of southern Spain. So, which, you know, it seems to work. But then again, that's real life. Because horror happens anywhere. It doesn't, horror doesn't care where the environment is. You know, cinematically, it may not translate that way. He's like, this doesn't seem to fit the mood. But that's what makes it even scarier. Is because hey, that's life. I, I think you're polishing on this one. I think you're hey, polishing. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's, it, it, I think there's a, there's a poetry there. That I think um, it it may it may be slight, but I think there's a poetry there. I think there is. I mean, I mean, because the thing is, it can be done because Midsummer is an excellent horror film that's shot in broad daylight and is very picturesque. And I think they were there in Sweden, right? Is it Sweden or Norway, Finland? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Scandinavian country. Yeah, yeah, some some Scandinavian country, and it's gorgeous. And but it feels like a well executed executed haunting horror film the entire right. time, and it keeps you it keeps you kind of it, you don't really know what's going on. You're trying to figure out the theory. What do the, the basically this cult want to do? And it really pulls you in and gets you invested. And Rosmada did not. Roma Santa. <laughs> Roma Santa, whatever. It did not. Well, I'll admit, I'll admit, maybe it's because I'm just a huge Julian Sands fan. Uh, it will always be a guilty pleasure of mine. If I see it, if I come across it at random, I typically will stop and watch it. So, but I dig this one. Just, I just, I just liked it. Plus, you know, it's got the kind of, it's, you know, it's got the, the sultry kind of, you know, sexy thing going on. And then, uh, then it goes hardcore. But you know, with the gore is there, you know, we got, we, you know, we, we got everything that, that a horror film needs. All of the elements are there. I think it just it plays to some and play it doesn't play to others. I can understand why it doesn't. So this may be one of those ones. I don't think I polished it. That's just my interpretation. I don't think I did. But I will ask the audience. I want to know the audience. Considering that this was a period piece set in the mid eighteen hundreds of Spain, I'm fangirling again. I love Julian Sands. I do. I don't care what the man's doing. I love the man. So, um, what is your favorite? period horror so whether it's you know no matter where it's set or what country it's set in what is your favorite not not a contemporary modern one but what is your favorite period piece horror film let us know down in the comments below or in the live chat and of course at weekendhorror at gmail.com because alex does need that um that reading material i see na na's in the house good to see you na na and i saw ordinary jeff popped in good to see ordinary jeff thanks so much for hanging out with us bud do appreciate that nemo 13 says rumor is that kurt russell will be doing an escape from new york sequel with the radio silence crew Interesting. That's and that's Ooh. intriguing. Although I'm really loving him as Santa Claus right now. I really am. The, the Santa Claus movies he's doing for Netflix. Is that that Violent know. Night? No, no, that's David Harbour. That's the new okay. David Harbour one coming out, Violent Night. But he did, uh, this. I think, the Santa Claus, uh, the Christmas Chronicles or something. Um, yeah, Christmas Chronicles. Where he, where he played, where Kurt Russell plays Santa Claus and Goldie Hawn plays Mrs. Claus. Which is awesome, but uh, but he's he's amazing in that. I'm loving him. I'm loving him as Santa Claus right now. Even though he's he's my one of my favorite horror actors. So and sarcasm, yes, you did make your case for the witch. You absolutely did. Angel Rivera brings up Woman in Black was interesting, very cool. Travis Bur uh, Brown brings up Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow, definitely. I did like Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, Sleepy that's Hollow good. Did. 
Denova 28 says Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. The, yeah, that tracks. And, uh, and that goes up. <laughs> it goes up with Pride with Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah. So it's a fun movie. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So let's move on to our next. We're going to go way back in the way back machine. From the Take way us- back machine. So back in time, we have. Blood of Dracula, released November 23rd, 1957. Roll it. Fun-loving youngsters full of life. Well, that's it for that trailer. (laughs) 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 All right. We have Blood of Dracula, directed by Herbert Stroke, starring Sandra Harrison, Luis Lewis, Gail Gainley, Jerry Blaine and Heather Ames and just wow. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. This I'm is just gonna say wow on that one. This just, is a somewhat this is a somewhat strange one, but uh essentially, you know, the, the film the film follows um a younger Nancy uh, Nancy Perkins as she is dropped off at a boarding school where then she uh, kind of navigates the social strata that exists at that time in, of course, the late 50s, and then winds up becoming, uh, I guess, being victimized by one of the teachers there to become a weapon in uh, in a grand scheme against, I can't believe the word's coming out of my mouth, against nuclear energy. So, <laughs> this is I like, thought, See, I thought I summed that up with, wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So then, okay, that 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 was the weird turn it took me. I got the whole i I get the whole idea, and yeah, Denova twenty eight says makes you appreciate Bela Lugosi's Dracula all the more. I can I can totally see that. The big thing about the big thing about Blood of Dracula, okay, while it does have some some merits, you know, like this one thing, it it, it made me really, it, I really appreciate my love of natural lighting, especially in old fifties films. And I know that Aaron is going to miss. Uh, he loves. You know, digressing on AIP films and the films of the fifties, how those how those informed the uh, the modern stuff we know today. So I know he's going to miss that one. This film was released as a double feature with "I Was a Teenage Frankenstein," uh, also by AIP. And the weird thing is that this film is pretty much "I Was a Teenage Frankenstein" just reversed. Just like you know, instead of a guy, it's a girl. Instead of girl, it's you know, instead of Frankenstein, it was a vampire. But it was really, really weird because the reason this was intriguing to me, why I wanted, why I wanted to put it on the script, we're eventually gonna have to talk about it eventually, was because the big thing that informs this one, and also informed, I was the teenage Frankenstein, where this one takes a lot of notes from, or virtually all of its notes from, was the pervasive fear of self-destruction. Is that human beings, in and of themselves, this because this is post World War II. You know the the bombs have dropped. This is the late fifties. You know, and we're they're not even twenty years past the events that took place in jail. You know, the the uh, the bombs dropping on Japan, and so the idea of nuclear devastation is in every still in everybody's minds. You're not even a generation past it. People still remember the horrors of that. The images are coming out of what have actually took place. This idea that he, this idea that humankind had actually reached a point where we could destroy ourselves. Where we had achieved the ability to literally wipe ourselves off the planet. That became pervasive in the in the minds of all people around the world. Suddenly, it was a reality. There's no longer hypothetical, not a hypothetical shit. We could do it if we wanted to. And so the idea of this really informed horror, especially of the 50s. Not only what radiation could do to living organisms, but the idea that we all have the power in ourselves 
to destroy ourselves. And, you know, to do so that kind of like inkling bled into a lot of the monster films, how those monsters, the cinematic monsters, are the kind of personification of that destructive drive. For some reason, human beings can't seem to be able to break away from that. And we are constantly driven to destroy everything around us. So that's where AIP was kind of taken. That's where they took I Was a Teenage uh, Frankenstein. That's where they kind of took this. Only they just changed it up for the vampire effect. Because that's all, all of that, what I just talked about, is, is encapsulated in what the professor is doing to her to make her a symbol for human being self-destructive uh, behavior, self-destructive uh, urges as a kind of stab at trying to stymie, you know, nuclear weapon development and the power, the, the, the terror, the horrors of nuclear weaponry and shit like that. It's very, very weird and very shoehorned. It's kind of like, wow, we got a vampire movie and you're going to shoehorn this kind of societal commentary into this fucking thing. That was super jolting. But also, we're, but enough, but I mean, as, 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 as like, you know, bam, we're like granny shifting on that motherfucker to get this story, to get this in here. But it hit me that much harder. I was like, holy fuck. They were really trying to say something with this one. You know, the, the, the writers on this were trying to really get this across. Like, goddamn, how terrified was uh, Avon Candle and Herman Cohen, who was writing as, as Ralph Thornton, how fucking scared they were, uh, were they of nuclear holocaust? You know, it's just like, it really informed their writing. And I could see why they, they went in this direction, which is so weird and jarring. But it makes sense, especially for the time period that it came out. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's exactly at the time period, because you're having, you got to imagine people, even like, say, middle-aged adults in the 50s, so they're born in, what, the 19-teens? Right. And cars were still pretty new, airplanes were new, and then all of a sudden, 20, 30 years later, you have a weapon that comes out that can vaporize a city? I mean, that that is, that is like a horrifying thought of what like, a lot of people know is one of the, or one of the, um, uh, one of the, uh, Oh, the guys who invented the airplane, um, uh, Orson and Wilbur, uh, Orson, the yeah, brother, the right, the right brothers, the right brothers, the right brothers. What one of the right brothers was still alive when the atomic bomb dropped. That's wow. like, yeah. And it's like, you, you went and you, you went and developed powered flight. And then you saw the destructive capabilities of what happened. And uh, they, they interviewed. He died, but he died, I think, in 1947, uh, about two years later. Oof. But but when you see something, how fast technology just went. We were from you're starting to get machines. Now we're in the air. Now we have this bomb. And then in a little over ten years, we're going to put a man on the moon. In one lifetime, it's scary. It's just. It's a world that you don't understand. It's a world that you don't understand. And also, at the same time, you got the Red Scare going on, the scare right. of communism. Russia's detonating nuclear weapons, trying to get bigger and bigger. You in 57, know- uh, Korea was going on at the time. Or were, 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 um, we just, were we just out of Korea? We just got out. Cause I think Korea ended in 53. 53? Okay, so you yeah. have to make sure that my military time's right. But I know that Korea was still really prevalent on people's minds. And then, of course, the situation uh, ramping up in Vietnam as well. So a very tumultuous time. It's a very, very scary. The 50s are an interesting time because on the surface, it's like, oh, it looks all pretty. And it's like, oh, kind of kind of has this nice, pleasant Leave it to Beaver, Father's Knows Best. Yeah, kind of like, like yeah, oh, yeah. this is a great time. And then when you peel the layers back, you're like, 
that's actually kind of a horrifying time period when you really, really think about it. Thank you, Raven Darkstar. Yeah, Korea was 50 to 53. So this was four years. And you know when it started production, when it started writing, was typically a year and a half to two years before the film actually shot. So Korea fresh on people's minds. Vietnam, the situation heating up there before you know, that went down. The nuclear, you know, nuclear, uh, the the uh, the outset or you know, what happened post World War II is still on people's minds. McCarthyism is going on, the Red Scare, the advent of the you know, the rise of communism, and then just absolute fucking chaos. And so, uh, just b all this shit bubbling under the father knows best, leave it to Beaver facade, you know, Andy Griffith show facade kind of shit going on. Although Andy Griffith show was probably a little bit later, but uh, this all what it, what it was trying to convey was this kind of like this. Uh, um, What's that movie, that black and white movie, uh, Reese Witherspoon and... Uh, oh, Pleasantville. Pleasantville, this very Pleasantville yeah. kind of scenario. And no, it, just like, it, it was not like that at all. Like, that's all fucking propaganda shit. That was just kind of like Gloucester. That was the wallpaper over the rotting wall behind it. And so I can see why horror films would latch onto this. Not only with, you know, with Japan, uh, you know, jumping into the, you know, kaiju with big giant monsters. And, of course, in American filmmakers, we like what radiation can do that can make things, you know, gross and mutate and, you know, whatever. Big giant animals and things that eat people. But in this respect, it's just the fact that we can now use the monsters that we grew up with, the monsters that we brought with us. When uh, when we initially uh, immigrated to America and colonized this area, the monsters that we took with us from Romania and from Transylvania and from the you know, east, wherever we came from in Eastern Europe, those monsters come with us now become a new personification for man's inhumanity to man. And I found that really, I found that kind of it was really on the nose, but and it was so on the nose, I was surprised. I was kind of like, holy shit, because it, it's been a long time since I've seen a movie that was just like. There's your fucking plot right there, bitch. You know, human beings are fucking trash. That's what we are, man. Fucking monsters, man. It's like, I get it. Okay, thank you so much for for conveying that idea yeah, to me. That is when you when you look at World War One and World War Two, you can see what one man can do to another man, and right. it's like, wow. As a basic trick says, can you just go over that synopsis again, JL? I'm going to send it to a university for a PhD thesis. <laughs> you can definitely catch it on the replay. I'm not sure what. So, but yeah. So, Ronald Sam says, we went from the light bulb to the space shuttle in one lifetime. You think about this. Blood of Dracula, 19, November 1957. And it's less than a decade. Oh, no. Is it 57, 69? We'd be on the moon? Uh, yeah, moon 69. Moon 69? Yeah. Uh, Kennedy would be dead in less than a decade. Yeah, he, so, he's killed in 63. 63, and then six years after that, so 12 years later, we're going from the horrors of this to we're walking on the moon, so it's wild. I can understand why that was so, uh, why it was so prevalent in people's minds, and AIP really set themselves apart by jumping onto these cultural trends that spoke to audiences and allowed them to kind of look at things in different perspective. The film is not good in and of itself. It's it's not well shot. It's you know not well lit. The acting wasn't great, but what the story was trying to convey was was intensely potent for the time period. But AIP was known for that. They were known for pushing boundaries, which is why they kind of solidified their place. Instead of you know, putting out movies to placate the audience, they put out movies that challenged the audience. Now, I know that AIP wasn't one of the big hitters like, you know, MGM Universal or some of the others, but AIP did their did their part and is one of the reasons why kind of Hammer was able to go in the direction that it went. 
because AIP was willing because AIP was willing to put out these movies that challenged film film goers, challenged the theater goers. Whereas Hammer said, "Okay, well, if we're going to go that one, that's the stepping stone we need to put stuff out that's really going to push them, you know, hard with the you know, with the with the lean into the gore and the sensationalism of Hammer of House of War of of House of Hammer." So I loved that it was AIP was that little stepping stone that a lot of people sometimes forget that allowed for other people to springboard into, which I dug that because they were willing to take a look at the you know at what horror was, which is essentially us. And one thing that's really interesting is about this and the fact that it was paired with uh, my teenage Frankenstein uh-huh. is that you're starting to get movies geared towards teenagers. Because that wasn't a thing. Teenagers going to movie wasn't a thing in the 30s. Families so that's, what the, that's what the dance sequence was about. <laughs> like that. We, we saw that in Sting of Death. And they're Sting, going of Death in, <laughs> Sting of Death did the same damn thing. It's like, this is oddly... I guess this. I guess this is what teenagers do. I mean, I love the opening sequence where they're driving in the car and like that. And then she like grabs the wheel and tries to kill them, and the father's like, just slaps her in the face, and they all light up cigarettes. That's the fifties, baby. That was fun. okay. I watched this with Angela, and Angela was cracking the fuck up because this is the way the movie starts. Oh, oh, it's gonna be a giant crash. It's like I wish I'd killed us. Everybody lights up, including the daughter in the back. It's like the mom, the dad, the stepmom, the dad. Everybody lights up a cigarette. I was like, holy shit, man, this is quintessential fifties, you know, shit. Then they drop her off, and it's all the the boarding school with all the girls. Everything is just the shit is fucking just great. We we need to showcase that she's a bad teenager in five minutes. (laughs) Absolutely, and then like the and like the dad just goes like the dad just goes along with it, man. She just like busts out the cigarette. He even officer he's like, fine, I'll give you a light. He's like, I've got my own. (laughs) I was like, holy fuck, man. I loved it. I, there were aspects of it that just kind of blew my mind. Um, Sarcasm said, leave it to Beaver. The blatant intentional ignorance of the reality of the time was dumbfounding. I agree. It was. But it was also, in a way, necessary. Because that kind of, that level of existential dread was, I would say, would be was a threat to the, to the very idea of what America was. And there was so much effort put forward to stymie that as best they could, to shut down, shut that down, lest America begin to flow, begin to implode, on, you know, in regards to the existential threats that were all around them at all times. We needed something out there to placate that and try to keep the to try to keep the wheels turning. And so, but we still needed those individuals who were willing to be like, look, we understand why the wheels need to keep turning, but we cannot forget the fear. We can't forget the, why we need that shit to placate us. It's because, and that is where the horror genre was so important. Was not only allowing us to kind of deal with these these kind of like internal fears, to deal with these anxieties, but also to remind us that Pleasantville shit doesn't exist. You know, you've got to be able, you've got to recognize. It's like, I mean, it's weird for the horror genre to draw you back to reality. You know, whereas everything else is trying to paint a pretty picture. Over the horrors all around us, AIP was in there trying to be like, okay, look, we get it. Here's this, but here's what's you know, here's the reality of the scenario. It's done in an extreme way, like horror, but don't forget it. It's there. You well, know? You, also, you have to keep in mind at that time, big thing was escapism. People went to the movies to escape. I know nowadays people want realism and gritty and dirty and that, like, oh man, I want to feel like I'm actually there and I want to feel the dread. <laughs> I need to feel so, alive. 
Yeah. <laughs> I need to feel so you so you have movies. Well, fucking Henry Ford started the started the fucking five day work week. So fuck that asshole. We needed the escapism. Oh yeah, yeah. Henry Ford is a horrible person. Horrible. <laughs> I, I, get, say. I get the assembly line and how revolutionary it was, but that guy was a fucking dick. That fucking was like the, the, what, people. What was it like the eight hour work day and the five day work week? Fuck that piece of shit, man. We needed the escapism. We needed to get the fuck away. Yeah, that's that's why that's why you had to have you had to have like the big production plays and the big musicals and mm-hmm. all this other kind of stuff that was going on so that people could escape what was actually going on and it carried over into the 50s and the 60s musical that's why musicals aren't really a big thing today because it's like no we want the realism whereas back then no i want to escape I want to feel like I'm in a fantasy world. And so you have to leave it to Beaver. You had all those movies that came out at that time. And then every once in a while, you get a little film like this. It's like, no, you can die of nuclear war. Right. So Jayver says, my family has long generations and long lives. It's amazing what we've seen in just three generations. My great-grandmother was born before the light bulb, and we were both on the earth simultaneously. It, that's it's trippy. DeNova20 says, I can't help but think of that movie y'all talked about with the squid people. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Tony Regimes, uh, and there, and there, there's a lot of reference. A lot of people talking about the the song. The song that was featured was "Puppy Love," which was a really weird. Which is a weird song. Because uh, Tony Regimes says uh, the weirdest thing about it was it was a brother and sister singing a love song to each other, which is really really weird. But then again, you know the fucking the fifties, man. I'm just you saying it was ahead of the time. <laughs> uh, let me see. Rodney Ellis Dave says horror, horror objectified our sense of existential dread in a manner that allowed us to process it. Absolutely, that's what, it's one thing that the horror genre still continuously does for us. After that, Raven Darkstar says the Blob, sixty teenagers, the Blob, two seventies adults, uh, the Blob, two seventies adults, and, exactly. And I, I like and you, interesting you bring up the Blob, Raven Darkstar, because we talked at length about the differentiation between the nineteen fifty eight Blob and the nineteen eighty eight Blob and how. The very idea of America changed from 1958 to 1988 in just 30 years. And how you can tell the same story, but in like wholly different ways. And how what you could essentially what that said about us as a nation and our viewpoints on like, you know, who we are and, you know, you know, who, you know, like, like who we should put our stock in, you know, that whole kind of thing. So I always find the looking back at the blob as a retrospective as to the, you know, that really solidifies the difference of that of the two different uh, generational thinking right there which i thought was really really smart oh man but yeah dude aip ahead of its time and they really push they they push the boundaries and i and i love them for it yeah i know aaron aaron loves aip so in speaking of which i want to ask the audience what is your favorite aip horror film Ooh. so i gotta like AIP man, I have to say I really like I was a teenage werewolf. Um, because I'm a big fan of werewolf films, as you could tell, because I try I, I really talked to Paroma Santa. Um, there were some good ones. I'm gonna have to sit on I, thinking about it, I'm gonna go I was a teenage werewolf, because that was one of their biggest hits. That was because that was a big hit and it was just really well done. So I'll have to go with that one. See, I see, and I'm thinking because I I wanted to double check to make sure. Uh, that it was AIPs, but you have Roger Corman's The Raven. Oh, intriguing. Like, yeah, that's what I was like. I was like, wait, wait a minute. And so, yeah, Roger Corman apparently did several AIP films. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I think it was, yeah. Um, 
He has uh, It Conquered the World was in, uh, I think, 55 or 56. Um, Naked Paradise. Uh, uh, what was it? Um, uh, the Undead Sorority Girl. So, yeah, he had a bunch, a bunch of interesting before he, you know, before he uh, dove into his post cycle. Mm-hmm. All right. So that, that's what I got to go with. So let us Definitely. know in the comment below or email us at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Coming All right. We got, we got a film left. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you shitting on this one, man? All right. So this is, this is, a, this is a little bit of, this is kind of a weird one. So, but they've all been kind of like strange. It's like strangely alluring ones. Tony Regime brings up the fall of the house of Usher. Very nice. Oh, Very yes. Yeah. Yes. Good, good stuff. So, for this last one, the last one for tonight, released. Now, this is interesting because this is actually a re-release. So, it was November 25th, 1983. Saw the re-release of the film Necromancy. And it was under a new title called The Witching. And that's because when it released previously, it did absolutely shit. And it's understandable why it did shit because it's not really that great of a movie. But they re-released it under the title The Witching in 1983. It's still technically the film Necromancy. We're going to dive into it. Let's check out this trailer. Okay. <clears throat> so, <laughs> necromancy. And I don't know why they stylized it as like necromancy, but it's you know, necessary. But anyway, directed by Bert I. Gordon, starring Orson Welles, Pamela Franklin, Michael Antkeen, and Lee Purcell. So, yeah, the film was, re- this was originally released in 1972. It was re-released in 1983 under the title The Witching in an alternate cut. This, this So, this one was... I see why JL likes this one. He's in it. Do I really look that much like Orson Welles? <laughs> but anyway, so uh, but I like that. Thank you, man. JL is kind of cultivating that Wells look. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like that. I, I, I'm going to take that. That's a compliment to me. It's an absolutely. Yeah, so that's a compliment. Although, although Wells was, you could tell when watching this, was just, oh, mouth, <laughs> Denova, mouth just hanging a gape. Like, what the fuck? You, uh, sadly, for all of his legend, Wells looked incredibly bored making this movie so it was just like it just it it was like it's like i'm orson wells and i'm going to weigh on the the, all i'm just gonna weigh on the legend that is orson wells everything i deliver is just like orson was and i can be you know whatever obviously he was very bored he did not do it there was no effort from orson wells in this and the the big thing was about about necromancy is that originally released in 1972 the film did not do well at all it just didn't pick up. People didn't watch it. Even with Orson Welles attached to it, it got terrible reviews. And so it quickly disappeared. But then it was re-released in 1983 under the title The Witching. And it did it fared a bit better. Plus, it was, it was cut a little bit. Now, I can tell you first and foremost, the best way to watch this movie, it's currently on YouTube. But there is a cut that it combines elements from the original cut and the second cut into it to make it essentially to kind of like restore the r-rated version of it and i would say watch that because there's some plot points in the 83 one that is dropped from the recut that make more sense with the stuff from the original cut so it's it's a it's literally fan made but it's seamless so i recommend if you're going to watch this watch it that way it's free on youtube you can check it out i mean you'll find it's very easy to find so i recommend that because it's a little bit better than either one of the previous two but now Huh. The reason I wanted to talk about this was, you know... (laughs) Yes, yes. Why I brought this up. So, is because... Not because the film is is amazing like this, but because of the cultural significance of the movie. And the reason the film did better on its re-release under the title The Witching. And that was because 
And we're going back to that old trope, the goddamn satanic panic. So the film in itself in the 70s, not so much. There's things going on in the 70s, but the idea of witchcraft and the idea of covens and, you know, Satanists, although they try to they try to draw a hard line between what is Satanism and what is essentially Wicca in this film, they try to do that, but they I can tell you that the writers were not very well educated on the on these subjects. So they were essentially pulling from they knew there was two different things satanism and wicca in and of itself and they were trying to take the elements of satanism to give like a dark kind of shadow to wicca to the practice of wicca and so in order to tell this story and so not to mention because the actors are kind of checked out nobody's really there the cinematography is kind of weird kind of a peter jackson-y kind of feel with some of the camera work it's 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 odd it's very very odd but you can see why this did fairly better on the re-release when, um, like, you know, when films like uh, Land of the Minotaur was coming out because everyone was trying to capitalize on the, the cultural trend of the time, which was the satanic panic. Satanists are everywhere. They're stealing our kids. They're trying to, you know, cast spells on us and enslave us into their methodologies or into their mentalities and drive us away from God or whatever that. And that got hot in the 80s, so our movies have to reflect that. Which is why this one was saw this kind of like just like throw in their re-release under a new title, The Witching, instead of Necromancy. Maybe people didn't understand what necromancy was, but in that respect, witching that speaks to audiences across the board. Oh, witches! Oh, the occult, and you can recognize all the symbolism so you can see in real life. That's what I got from this. That the only reason this film saw a re-release at all was not because of Orson Welles or because of anything behind it, was simply because we can make money on this now because now people are afraid of it again. It's it, listen, you can tell that when they were making this movie, they knew it was going to be a bad movie. Like you can tell. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> like day one, it's like, yeah, we fucked up, <laughs> but we're already here. So we might as well, we, we might as well like finish it out. And it was exactly that. It was a bad movie. Uh, the cinematography, just, just, like I said, just weird. The lighting's weird. Like, it just doesn't make... It's not like you have this kind of motivated lighting that comes, oh, it's coming from this window or something. You'll have a window next to her, mm-hmm. and then, like, a weird light coming in over here, and this side's, like, dark on her face, but she's standing next to a window. So like it's a window. window. <laughs> and it doesn't make sense. It just does it. <laughs> So, so like the cinematography is just not great. Everybody's just kind of phoning it in, and honestly, with the re-release, it was just like a sure it'll probably cost us um, a couple thousand dollars, or maybe less than that, just to send it out, just to see if hopefully we can get some kind of return. We already made it, right? And they just kind of got lucky and just stumbled. And I don't know how well it did on its re-release, but it's it's not great. Nah, not at all. But I will... Oh, so Plothole says, but Eugene, that surrealism can work. And I was actually just thinking that. I was like, maybe that plays because they're in a natural environment. And because there's magic everywhere and things are all twisty and turny. And she's she's an unreliable narrator because they're fucking with her because they have plans for her and shit. Maybe? I don't know. Well, the thing is with surrealism is that you have you have to dive in. Like Suspiria is surrealism. Yes. But you yes. look at the colors and it, it's like it fully pulled you into that surrealism world. With surrealism, you can't go like, let me dip just a toe. 
Like, ooh, here's a little <laughs> unconventional lighting. It can't be. It can't be environment. <laughs> it can't be environmental. You got to be willing to go whole hog on it. You know, it's got to be conveyed in the camera work and the lighting and the sound and everything. So here's what. Um, here's something interesting. So I did want to kind of talk about the troubled release behind this, but then I sat down and watched this thing. And this is this is weird. So track me. I'm gonna digress a little bit. Like I normally digress on shit. I know, but um, something occurred to me while watching this. See if you can track me on this. Okay. So similar to how like Halloween ends was was essentially just Christine, you know? This the same similar thing kind of occurred here. So Necromancy originally came out in 1972, right? And then it was re-released in 1983. Mm-hmm. So something that was really, really weird. And yes, Rodan Lesson, you're right. You gotta go full Mandy. You gotta go full Pontus mm-hmm. Cosmatos if you want to do it. You gotta full you gotta go full Cosmatos. So, but here's this one. So check this out. This movie came out in 1972. It re-released 1983. Do you know what else re-released 1983? What's that? Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Oh. Okay. Now, look at the two films side by side. Magic-using guy controls the whole town. Everybody works for him. He holds power over everybody. He is a toy maker. And his intention is to utilize... He us. And his intention is to use the protagonist in order to achieve his evil plan. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my new term now is he trolls too to us. <laughs> <laughs> so I suddenly occurred to this. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting. Oh, Denova says it's eerie how much jail looks like Orson Welles now. <laughs> that's fucking amazing. Great. That's my new nickname. I, I, I can't. I have to lean into it. I'll be Orson Welles now. <laughs> but anyway, so... Um, I found it weird. I was like, holy shit. This is Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. But this came out before. But this technically came out before Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Listen, you can can copy something if no one's seen it before. (laughs) This is true. This is absolutely true. So I thought it was just, it was weird. This, this, this kind of like connective tissue between, I was like, wait a minute. Okay, wait, they're going to a town. The town's name is Lilith. Come on. You know, (laughs) on the nose. But they're going to this... Rosebud. <laughs> so they wanted me to say that. So um they they go into a town that's controlled by one guy. Halloween three, they travel to the town, the guy and the protagonist, they travel to the town that's controlled by the one guy who's involved in, you know, pagan arts like like witchcraft stuff. He's involved in witchcraft. It's a toy company in Necromancy, it's a toy ma- toy company in a sh- Silver Shamrock in Halloween three. Okay, that one deals with like Samhain and kind of like ancient uh, uh, the ancient Irish uh, rituals. This one's just overall just Wicca, but Wicca has its roots in the in uh, in uh, the British Isles. So we have two kind of connectives to there. One guy controlling the whole town. Everybody works for him, so that's all the same. And the you he wants to use the protagonist to achieve his evil ends, and the person who goes with the protagonist winds up betraying them. Because the girl who goes with Tom Atkins winds up getting turned into a robot and trying to kill him. And the husband of the, wor- the the girl they're trying to manipulate to sacrifice to bring back the guy's dead son winds up falling in with the cult and sleeping with one of the cultists. And ends up betraying her. Huh? Huh? Oh no, you've already sold your point. It's the same fucking movie! <laughs> it is. Because you can copy it if no one's seen the original. <laughs> so Which no one did. 
So one guy who actually saw this in 72 and then probably didn't think about it for five years and then goes, huh, wait a minute. <laughs> they didn't expect us to come around and be like, hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, they didn't expect us to do that. Tony Regime says, I'm looking more like Eric John Rush from the Spoils of Babylon. <laughs> Denova says, so Denova 28 says, so Necromancy, Season of the Witch, and Willy Wonka are all connected. One of the weirdest trilogies that I've ever seen. That's a, that's a strange trilogy. And technically then <laughs> Snowpiercer, because Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. So I found that to be intriguing. And while this film did have a bit, it did have a very troubled release in trying to get it out, um, if, if I remember correctly, uh, during post-production in uh, 1971, uh, Gordon and Valiant Productions filed a lawsuit against the film's production company, Premiere, uh, to regain creative control of the film. And a judge allotted uh, Gordon 21 days to produce a recut version of the film in alignment with the original vision, which he was ordered to then give to Premiere, which was legally prevented from making any alterations to it. So it was released uh, theatrically in 72, and in some areas it was it was advertised as the Devil God, which... Kind of played in that as well. And then over the next decade, uh, over a decade of its original release, eventually in 83, it was re-released with The Witching. So there was there was problems behind it. Obviously a very, very disbowed, disjointed, very... Uh, no, I said, I, said, I said Snowpiercer. I said Snowpiercer Plottle. I did. So that's, you know, that's where I was going. Um, you know, it, it had a prob problematic release and we can see why they dropped it again in order to take advantage of the, of the current satanic panic that was going on in the eighties. And, you know, it's, it's a chance to make money. I just thought it was very weird watching this and seeing the connective tissue between this and Halloween three season of the witch that just like stood. I was like, holy fuck. Whole, it was like, holy shit. And now, now I'm curious. Now I have to look up something. Halloween three season of the witch. It was the first. I put in Hollow and Halloween three popped up. They're listening. You you know that you know they are. Oh yeah, they are. So Halloween three season of the witch, written by of course written by um, Tommy Lee Wallace, but Tom, Tom, Tommy Lee Wallace under the tutelage of John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. So Carpenter at the time, I think Carpenter would have. I mean, this is Orson Welles. Any director with their salt would have watched Orson Welles film. You know, just to see it, and of course to see what was going on. Obviously, uh, Bert I Gordon. Bert I. Gordon was like what was like you know, he did King of the uh, King Dinosaur, The Amazing Colossal Man, Earth versus the Spider, so and Empire of the Ants in 1977. So shit, yes, Carpenter would be aware of him. Yeah, Carpenter would have seen this and potentially used those threads to make Halloween Three Seas the Witch, and then Tommy directed it. To you know, I I don't know. I'm just saying there's it's all linked. Yeah, yeah, definitely. it's all oh, yeah. connected. Yeah. <laughs> And so, and then they're like, wait, 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 look, look, because what, the season of the witch came out, what, like October of this year? Or October of uh, the same year, 83? That right? was, um, yeah, that was October 22nd, 82. So, so he said October 22nd, 82. Yeah. So you have the season of the witch comes out, and they're like, wait, 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 let's call it the witching so that we can capitalize on it. It's Trolls 2, because Trolls 2 has nothing to do with trolls, the first one. And they're like, we're going to call it Trolls 2 just to get people to watch it. So they're going to change the name, cut it to PG, or your PG, so it's, a, I don't know, more family-friendly or whatever. And then we can try to sell it again. And here you go. Okay, so and what this looks we like... We didn't buy it. So what this looks like is in 1972, 
1972, Necromancer released. John Carpenter, being aware of uh, Burt Gordon's director of directorial credits, Empire of the Ants, you know, everybody would have seen that. So, being aware that plus he was a, he was a uh, he was a, a movie monster. He was kind of like uh, Gordon was especially known in uh, rear he used rear projection for special effects, and he was nicknamed Mister Big in reference uh, to his initials B I G, and of course because he used supersized creatures in his movies. So Carpenter would have been aware of that as far as like telling monster stories. And so Carpenter aware of that, then writes Season of the Witch because now they want to do something different after Halloween 2. He gets down and so Tommy, so he kind of like helps, um, he kind of helps Tommy Wallace develops a Halloween 3 Season of the Witch off of this necromancy plot. And then Season of the Witch drops and then the, the people who have necromancy say, hang on a second. And then jump it in the very you know, less than a year's time afterwards, saying, "Hey, the story's there and it's doing well. Maybe we can capitalize on that." Not to mention the satanic panic going on. I see what y'all are doing here. I see what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> got to cash in somehow. Very wild, very wild. So I will ask this because we got talking a bit about him and everything, and we never actually talk about Orson Welles. But I'm curious. This may not be a horror film question, but what is y'all's favorite? Orson Welles film so of, of his legendary career obviously necromancy is not going to be one of them unless it is no fault if it is but what is y'all y'all's favorite Orson Welles movie so let us know in the live chat of course in the comments below or at weekendhorror at gmail.com all right Orson Welles man yeah such a serious looking dude I can tell you clean shaven I don't look anything like this guy it's the beard it's the it's it's definitely the beard yeah absolutely the beard I loved him in Touch of Evil, so I really did. Uh, Touch of Evil, he was amazing. Um, obviously, Citizen Kane it has you know it has a lot of stuff like that, but Touch of Evil was just fucking great, you know. But he had a number, he had a number of fantastic movies. I think it's oh. that time. It is that time. It is trivia time, baby. It is Absolutely. So, uh, um, basic trigger tri- tri- says, as I said before, Transformers the movie. Ah, uh, fucking uh, a voice uh, work, baby. Absolutely. Oh, I should cosplay as him. <laughs> <laughs> Raven Doctor says, War of the Worlds. Oh, oops, that's radio. Nope, still, still Wells. I will still give you War of the Worlds, considering he traumatized an entire nation. I'll give you the War of the Worlds. I absolutely will. Good so, on him. We're going to do another mystery uh, item from the store and for us to decide. So for this mystery item from the Week in Horror store, the first person in the live chat to get this answer correct will get that little item. I haven't, we haven't decided what it will be, but it will be something cool. So Eugene, when you're ready, and I think I need to pull up the live chat, don't I? Uh, yes, I have the live chat up. You have it up? Yeah, I have it up. Awesome, awesome, cool. All right, so... Whenever you're ready. All right. The qu- question is, Brad Miska was able to create VHS by using the connections he made after co-founding what multimedia website? The question again, Brad Miska was able to create VHS by using the connections he made after co-founding what multimedia website? 
First correct answer in the Tony Rajiv says Napster. <laughs> First correct answer in the live chat gets the mystery item from the Weekend Horror Store. Yes. What could it be? What could it be? So many things. We've added a bunch of new stuff to the Teespring stores. You ought to check that out. Tony Regime said YouTube. No, it wasn't YouTube either, unfortunately. Come mm -hmm. on, I know y'all know this one. This one isn't that hard. There it is. Who got it? It hasn't I updated yet for me. I have Angel Riviera first. The right after that was Roden, no last name. Angel Rivera's got it. And just to double check, we make sure that that's on live chat instead of top chat. Just to double check. Yep. And live chat is where to go, where to go, where to go. YouTube. Angel Gingy. Rivera, yes. That is Yeah, Gingy it. says Angel also. Yeah. Angel Rivera. Fantastic. So let me write that down. Angel Rivera, congratulations. We're going to send you out a mystery item from the Weekend Horror Store. And the correct answer is Bloody Disgusting. Bloody Disgusting. Co-founded by Brad Miska as a way to kind of, you know, it's a multimedia deal that they did in the vein of Rue Morgue and Fangoria. And, of course, he used those connections in journalism in order to bring these directors together and create the VHS franchise. And so history was born from there. And it's given us a bunch of fantastic uh, directors ever since. All right. So congratulations again to Angel Rivera for getting the trivia prize tonight. And that will bring another episode of Week in Horror to a close. Thank you all so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next week when we look back at the snake disaster horror Venomous with Treat Williams. Yeah! <laughs> the gruesome and brutal sequel, The Collection. The supernatural terror of the possession of Hannah Grace. And the experimental 70s sci-fi horror, Prey. For more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials for The Daily Splatter, your daily horror film recommendation. Remember, we are constantly being stalked by that cruelest of faceless slashers algorithm. And you can help us to defeat it by dropping a comment, liking, subscribing, and smashing that notification bell like a true third-act final girl. Joshua also does all the amazing artwork you see here on the show, and his designs are incredible. Hit up his store at www.badsamurai.store. A massive shout-out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make Weekend Horror the incredible success it has become. You see your names down there on the banner. Thank you all so much for that support. And if you like and are able to support our production, you can by joining and enjoying the tasty benefits of one of our many Patreon tiers. But if Patreon is not your favorite stocking method, you can always support us directly through our PayPal link. Links to all this, including our Discord community, where you can hang out with us, are in the description below. And remember, the goal at Week in Horror is global horror domination, and we cannot do it without you, our amazing audience. So pretty please, with the hopes and dreams of indie horror lovers everywhere on top, go and share the absolute fuck out of our little show. Thank you all for being the greatest audience a podcast could have. Mwah. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. We will see you all next week, and as always, stay scared.